Thank you, Paul. Well, what a special morning this has been. And I want to express my sincere thanks to Paul and his talented music staff and our gifted musicians for coming in a little early in this season and blessing our hearts and leading us in worship today. What a rich morning it has been. It's hard to know in the final few minutes of my speaking to you just how to express the way I want to, my heart feelings for you. I was thinking of Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians, which express pretty well what I want to say. Excuse me, let's make that 1 Thessalonians. Where he says, who, who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. <clears throat> and this morning that is my heart for you. That you are my glory and my joy. And I, I thank you for your, your love which you have expressed in so many ways to all of us in the Call family. We all thank you for that. And in these last weeks, so many of you have sent notes by email or on a card or through voicemail to express your thoughts. And I, I thank you for your kind thoughts. I wish that I had time to answer each one of them personally and be able to reflect back to you how much you mean to me personally. But in the midst of all that's going on right now, that's impossible to do. So forgive me that I can't, but just know that my heart is full. My heart is overflowing with you this morning. And in the presence of our Lord Jesus, for he is here, uh, I express to you that you are my joy. And in the, his coming, when he returns, my crown of rejoicing. Today I want to think with you regarding this matter of change once more. And to do that, would you open your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter was a man who was acquainted with change because uh, of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And may I say to you that if you want an adventure, if you want a life that has change in it that is good and exciting and full of purpose, Engage in a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith in him. Because wherever Jesus goes, he is a change agent. He was that way certainly in the life of Peter, and he is that in the life of every person who trusts in him. Peter was changed from being a fisher of fish to being a fisher of men. He was changed from being a man who lived in a provincial, private situation to a man who was involved in very public controversy and notoriety. He was changed from being a disciple to an apostle. He was changed from being a follower of Jesus to being a leader among the people of Jesus. Peter was intricately 
connected to what we called a few weeks ago the big transition. That is, when Jesus left this earth and the ones that he had chosen to be his own. Indeed, as we look at Peter's words in this epistle that he wrote by the Spirit, we can see that Peter was thinking of that change when Jesus went back to heaven as he writes these words, or at least it seems so to me. Because here in the fifth chapter of 1 Peter, we see several allusions to the big transition, to when that big change took place in his relationship to Jesus. In verse 5, he commands that we clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Clothing ourselves with humility reminds us that Jesus took upon himself that evening the towel of a servant, and he went around washing the feet of his disciples in humility. And he told them that they were to follow the example that he had given to them that night in serving one another. In verse 8, he reminds us to be sober and to be on the alert because we have an adversary who walks about seeking to devour us. Peter was perhaps reminded of the time when he himself was tempted of Satan and did, in fact, deny the Lord Jesus in the time of Jesus' sufferings. In verse 1, he says that he was a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so Peter has in mind here all of the events that took place during that last week of Jesus' life, and particularly the cross where Jesus suffered for his sins and our sins. And then later in the verse, he says also that he's a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, reminding us of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And then in verse 2, he says to these leaders of the church, shepherd the flock of God, echoing the words that Jesus gave to him on that Galilean morning when they had breakfast together after Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And to that response that Peter gave, Jesus went on to say, then feed my sheep shepherd my sheep. And so it seems to me that as Peter is writing this book, this letter, across the canvas of his mind is painted this picture of the big transition when Jesus left this earth and went back to heaven. And I believe there's a reason that that was on Peter's mind. It's because Peter knew that these saints he was writing to were also experiencing a transition. While their lives had been involved with some suffering to this point, now they were beginning to enter into heavy persecution. The full weight of the Roman government was coming down upon them. They were in the midst of change themselves, and so Peter wants to write to people who were apprehensive and insecure in the light of their situation. And he wants to write to them so that he can encourage them and encourage us in the midst of change. Change requires courage. Change is exciting, but change also poses risk and uncertainty. Now this morning, because of the change we're undergoing, there, there is sadness 
in our hearts. There is sadness in my heart today, and I know that there is sadness in the hearts of many of you. <clears throat> and that's normal. It's okay. But while there is sadness, let there not be fear. Let there not be uncertainty as we each enter into the next chapter of our lives and our ministry. Indeed, we can take courage as we enter into this transition, and here's why we can, Peter tells us. He says that we can take courage in the midst of change because in the first place, your faithfulness to God will be rewarded. He says in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It may be that these folks that Peter is addressing in chapter 5, particularly the elders, were beginning to lose focus of their ministry because of change. Suffering can do that for you. It can cause you to become distracted. But for that matter, any kind of change can. When things are stable, it's easy for us to remain focused on what we're about. But in the midst of change, we tend to wander a bit. We begin to glance around and to lose that focus. And so Peter is writing to them as he would exhort us as well to serve the Lord in the midst of this transition. Remember what you're about. Remember your responsibility before the Lord. See your circumstances not as obstacles, but as opportunities to serve him. Take hold of this moment. Don't loosen the grip. Find God's place for your active ministry and participation in his service. He is saying to them and to us that God is sovereign, that there is nothing that surprises him. He has a personal assignment for each one of us, doesn't he, in life. And what we need to do in the midst of change is to keep focused on what the Lord wants us to do. And as he says here, to do that voluntarily. He says, don't, don't have to be begged or prodded or cajoled or coerced into service. See it as a privilege to serve the Lord in the midst of change. Do it voluntarily. And he says, do it passionately. He says, don't expect some reward for it. He says, be eager in your spirit. Take a step forward. Do it without any thought of what's coming back to you. Be passionate about serving the Lord in this time of change. And he says, do it humbly. Not with a pompous attitude. Not with an attitude that's comparing what you're doing to what others maybe aren't doing but do it humbly before God because God has a way of rewarding faithfulness. 
and your faithfulness to God in serving him in the time of change will be rewarded by the chief shepherd. So take courage. God will reward you for your faithfulness. This is your moment. This is the time of your test. This is exam time. And Jesus is going to reward you. So pass the test. Keep focused on serving the Lord. Secondly, he says that we can take courage in the midst of change because our circumstances are familiar to God. Verses 5 through 7, he says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Peter says, in the midst of change, humble yourselves before God. Wait upon the Lord. Don't rush ahead of God. Don't take steps that are unwise. Don't make hasty decisions. He says, God knows your circumstances. They're familiar to him. Therefore, trust in the mighty hand of God. The hand of God speaks of his ability to act on our behalf. His ability to come through and to meet our needs. He says, trust in the mighty hand of God, and in the due time, at the proper time, he will exalt you. He will meet your need. He will come through for you. But humble yourself. The word humble here doesn't mean to be resigned to your situation, but it means rather to be positively reliant upon God. So positively rely upon the hand of God, the mighty hand of God. Secondly, he says, trust in the caring heart of God. He cares for you. Therefore, you can cast all of your care upon him. Just throw the whole of your anxieties upon the Lord. Your circumstances are familiar to God, and he cares about you. So take courage in the midst of the change that is ahead, and this change is going to take a number of months. You need to be prepared for a year or more before you come through this interim time and call a new pastor. Now, I know some of you would like to think, oh, it won't happen that way here. We'll do it in three months. Well, if that's what you think, you're going to be mighty shocked. The process will hardly be started in three months. In fact, my daughter Kelly goes to a church in California that's been at it two years. I would say to you, don't be that long. <laughs> the process can go on too long because of circumstances. But understand, this is going to take time. And during that time, don't give up. Trust in the mighty hand of God. Trust in the caring heart of God. God knows exactly what you're going through. And you know, during this time, however long it be, nine months, a year, year and a half, I don't know how long it's going to be, but during that time, God is going to be working in you. He's going to be doing subtle things, changing the spirit of this congregation, 
tuning it in a little bit of a different way to prepare you for the one who's going to come to be your next pastor. And that's exciting to think about, what God is about, what God is going to do. But take courage. Your circumstances are familiar to God. You can trust in him. Third Peter says that we can take courage because our faith will resist the enemy. Verses 8 and 9, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering, experiences of suffering, are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. He says here, your faith will resist the enemy. The intimidation of the devil, the roaring of this lion, will not succeed if only you stand guard against him. He can only do what you let him do. Now let's face it. As we said a couple of weeks ago, this kind of a period in the church is a vulnerable time in certain respects. And you can be sure that Satan, our spiritual enemy, is going to be prowling around seeking to get a foothold somewhere, seeking to devour someone, seeking to disrupt this wonderful church body, this family. But you don't have to be afraid of him because your faith will resist the enemy. Stand firm in your faith. Be on the alert. Be thinking. Be of sober spirit. Just be watching for him and resist him at every turn. And the result will be that he will be defeated. So count on the devil to be around. But secondly, count on your faith in Jesus Christ to protect you. Take courage because you are not a victim. You are not a defenseless prey. You are a victor in Jesus Christ and able to defeat any schemes that the devil may throw at you in the coming months. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be uncertain. Be courageous. Take courage in this time of change. There's a fourth reason that Peter shares with us as to why we can all take courage, and that is that our situation is not unique. He says, what you're experiencing is accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. There were others who were suffering besides the ones that Peter is writing to. He tells them earlier in the book, don't think it's strange that this happened to you. He says, this is not foreign. This is what you're to expect in the world. So here he reminds them that others also are suffering. And if I may say to you, there are other churches that have and are going through the very same transition that you're going through. To paraphrase a certain bumper sticker, pastoral changes happen. Pastoral changes happen. I mean, that, that, that's part of what life is about. That's part of what being in the, the Lord's family is about. Your situation is not unique. Take courage in that and learn from others' experiences. Now, some of you have been through this before in other churches, and you've seen the good and the, the bad and the ugly. And I would encourage you to learn from that experience and bring the important lessons of that to bear in this interim time. But also know this, you can lean upon the prayers of others even as you pray for others. 
there are people right here in our community who've already said to me they're going to be praying for you and for me during this time of change. People care about you. You're not alone. You're not an island cast out into the sea by yourself. There are other churches around you that are praying for you and other churches that are going through the same kind of process as you are. So take courage in that. You're not alone in change, and there are others who are standing with you in it. Finally, Peter says that we can all take courage in this fact that our future, our future is secure in the Lord. He says, and after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Folks, we're a part of something that's going on forever. The Lord's dominion, the Lord's kingdom is eternal. It doesn't end with a pastoral change. It doesn't even end with your death or mine. The Lord's kingdom is an everlasting dominion. It is forever. In the midst of that, we can be secure in the Lord. He has a future for us. You need to know that he is at work in this. He knows the outcome of this change, and he purposes your good in it. I'm reminded of the words that God spoke through Jeremiah the prophet in the 29th chapter of his book, the 11th verse. And I remind you that these words were spoken to people who were going through change. They had been taken captive by their enemy. They were going to be in Babylon for 70 years, God says. What tremendous change and uh, what, what trauma they were going through as a people. And yet God speaks comfortably to them. And he says in verse 11, I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Listen to those words. That is the promise of God. He knows the plans that he has for you. He has a future for you and a hope. We can be secure in the Lord in the midst of change because of what we find promised here in verse 10. In the first place, we see the promise that God limits our trials. This transition, this time of testing you're entering is not forever. It's a little while. Now, it may be, as I say, a year or more. But in the broader scheme of things, that's a little while. God has a limit to it. You can be secure in that. Just as you're entering into it, one day you're going to come out of it. And then as you reflect back upon what's yet before you, you will be able to say, to God be the glory, great things he has done. You will be able to sing, great is thy faithfulness, O God, our Father. Because God is going to do something in this little while of interim, something special. We also see that in the midst of our transition, God gives us grace, for he is the God of all grace. He will give you what you need. You will be sufficient for tomorrow's challenges. You need not fear. 
you're secure. Thirdly, we see that God calls us to glory. He has called you to glory in Christ, his eternal glory. God has a plan for you that goes out of this world. He suggests here the final transition that we're all going to make in which the choir sang about this morning in the midnight cry. And that is that time when we shall be changed and caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. You and I can be secure in the midst of whatever this world offers us because we know that he's called us to glory. And fourthly, we have this promise that God uses our circumstances. That promise of Romans 8:28, that good that God says that he will work together in everything is described here in the words that he himself will perfect you. That is, he will adjust you. He will thoroughly repair you. This is a word like a chiropractor would describe what a chiropractor does in adjusting your body to bring it into alignment. Feels so good, doesn't it? You find you have spots that you didn't even know were sore until he touches there or she touches there, and then they work you over a little bit, and your body feels so much better being in alignment. Well, this is the word. It was also used in that day for the mending of the fishing nets that would get torn on the rocks as they were dragged over the rocks. What the Lord is going to be about in the coming weeks and months is to adjust you. He's going to sew some things together that may be a little ragged today. He's going to perfect you. He also says that he's going to confirm you. The word confirm means to make strong, to fix firmly. He says he will strengthen you, which means he will confirm you in spiritual knowledge and power. I'm going to tell you, I believe with all of my heart, that a year from now, this is going to be a more powerfully, a spiritually powerful church than it is today. And the reason for that is going to be that you're going to enter into an intensive time of prayer in the coming months. And God is going to use that to bring to you a confirmation and a strengthening of spiritual power. And then we have this word that he is also going to establish you. He's going to lay the basis for a new chapter. When we started out 18 years ago, I would never have imagined this chapter was going to be 18 years long for me. And of course, there have been a lot of paragraphs in this chapter. And maybe even some subheadings in this chapter as we have entered into this program or that phase or we've gone through this experience or that. But now this chapter is written. This chapter has come to a close. The book is not finished. The page turns and God continues to write. And it is exciting to see what God is going to write. And as he begins to write, he's going to prepare you for the man that he's preparing. And when he comes, I want you to love him just like you've loved us. I want you to embrace him just as you have embraced us. I want you to receive him as you have received us. There is nothing that would thrill my heart more than to see you grow stronger in the coming months and then when the, the new man comes in God's time, 
but you just explode into some exciting new chapter of ministry that today we could not even dream about. God's able to do that. I think of the words of the Apostle John when he was an old man. I've been looking at some of the pictures of early days, and I see that I have grown a little older in 18 years. I'm not quite as tall as I was, and I think as I'm getting shorter, I'm going this way. And uh, the hair is changing color, a little thinner, the hair that is. And as John wrote to some of his spiritual children, he said to them, I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I want you to know that that's my heart as we leave you today. That in the coming months and years, there will be no greater joy to my heart than to hear that you who have received spiritual ministry from me, are continuing to walk in the truth, continuing to experience God, continuing to grow in your faith, continuing to reach out in compassion to those who don't know the Savior. That would be the great joy of my heart. It is never easy to say goodbye. I have shed tears, and I will shed tears. And some of you have as well. But through our tears, let there be deep confidence in our hearts, a courage in our hearts as we approach this change. A courage that is there because of what Peter says in this fifth chapter of 1 Peter. A courage because our faith is in a God who will not fail us. To God be the glory. To him be glory and glory, for his is an everlasting dominion. Keep on being the sweet and wonderful people that you've proven to be these 18 years. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ fill your hearts toward one another and toward the lost. And may his grace lead you on to greater things in the days ahead. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to stand together with me in closing prayer. And I wonder if we couldn't just once more hold hands across the auditorium. Well, I'm going to ask you to use your hands, if you would, at the piano. I didn't think I wanted to do this, and I'm not sure I do now. But let's sing God be with you till we meet again. Could we do that? Do you know the words? God be with you till we meet again? It's in your hymnal. Why don't you get your hymnal out? Forget the holding hands. We're going to we're going to change gears here. Six hundred two. We'll join hands in just a moment to pray, but 602, I'd like to sing this. If you know the words, that's fine. God be with you till we meet again.
Now let's join our hands. And Father, as we bow in prayer, we thank you for your faithfulness as the God of all grace. As we have sung this parting hymn, God be with you, that is my prayer for this congregation. By your counsel's guide, by your counsel's hold them. Keep them secure, I pray, in the promises. And Father, I commend them to you and to the word of your grace, which is able to keep them and to guard them and to give them an inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. We give thanks to you for what we've experienced together in this pilgrimage, how good, how sweet it's been. But we also give thanks to you that though we part for a while, the best is still coming, that great things are ahead. And so, God, we commit ourselves to your care through Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose kingdom is forever. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.